passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Get ready to play hardball in the kingdom. Take me to the ballgame. I want to see the ants. Princess Tours, the vacation company, brings you the best show in baseball when the San Diego Chicken plays hardball with the Seattle Mariners and the Baltimore Orioles tonight in the Kingdom. What up? This is Myron, and you are listening to the Rye Bread and Mustard, a Mariners podcast, the alternative underground back alley underbelly on the other side of the tracks, down on the docks, speakeasy dive bar style podcast that you are listening to on the Odyssey app, through Odyssey Sports, or wherever else you're getting your podcast action from. Wherever you're liking, subscribing, and listening to this, we're not going to judge as long as you are still listening and downloading, rating, subscribing. We love you. Anyways, we are back here at the cabin up in Shoreline, Richmond Beach, if you want to get really exact. Happy to be back here in the 206 or 425 soil. Uh, the weather has changed since the last time I've been in here. It's same thing with the, uh, you know, the, the clocks uh, going ahead, moving ahead. It is, you know, it was, we had to wait till it got dark here to uh, record this episode because it, it was, it was too nice. This place was packed. It was way too loud to do a podcast. You know why? Because the cabin's the shit, isn't it? Yeah. Great for business. Nice sunny day. People are drinking, enjoying life. You know, catching up on the replay of the Mariner game since it was a day game. Yeah. Here. I mean, every TV here is Mariners at night. Yeah. Watching the replay. It's pretty incredible. Mariner fever. Mariner fever. Uh, especially when you get a day win like today. We had a few people come up to us and ask us questions about the game, uh, not knowing that it, it was already on. But so I, I, I was happy to give them the spoiler alert. We won. You know, if I, <laughs> you didn't try to take any money from them and just any no, business. I did. Well, didn't think that far of ahead. I didn't think that far ahead. But uh, spoiler alert: the Mariners are coming home with a victory. It's always good to get that getaway win, right, Hanno? That's that's huge for team morale. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Went on the road trip, five hundred. They won the last game of the series, and it really helps my disposition doing this podcast with you as well. <laughs> yes. Listen, I, I think this victory that the Mariners got here in Game 3 was really important considering what they've been through the last three days, dropping you know the 12-inning game in Cleveland, then the next night having to literally be back in the same scenario, losing another extra-inning game. 
And then, of course, the, you know, the seven-run outburst in game two to start the game off to end up losing, what was it, 14-9. to nine. Uh, You know, this, this road trip couldn't have started off any better, and it couldn't have got any more, I'm sure, frustrating for the team. But for them to come out today and get a great performance out of Logan, who we've been waiting for, you know, through the first two starts to reclaim the form that we were seeing him at the end of last season. We saw that today. Uh, let's jump right into game three, the newest game, and then we'll go back and talk about a little bit how we got to this point. It was nice to see Logan Gilbert um, back and sharp uh, after his last outing in Cleveland where he was roughed up a little bit, still struck some guys out, didn't have his velocity up like where he wanted to, but today he was... You know, mid-90s, looking good. Um, struck out seven, went six and two-thirds with only four hits, one run, and it was earned. Um, really good to see him, you know, kind of be that stopper that we eventually think he will be at the top end of our rotation. Not only was this great for Logan and great for the Mariners, like, going forward, they needed this. The, the team needed, you know, six Seven pitching into the seventh today. They like absolutely needed it. They've been, you know, logging up the uh, Alaska airline or Delta miles. Well, I don't know which uh, airline is Seattle Mariners. I think it's, believe it's Alaska, but they've been sending people back and forth direct from Sea uh, Tac to Chicago O'Hare over the last few days. Yeah, bringing in minors, minor relievers to help out the tax bullpen, who's been, you know, having to pitch a lot. Uh, early on in the season, and then these last, you know, like you said, couple games, they've been taxed. I mean, it's been a roller coaster of a series, but, you know, as a lot of Mariner fans call it, it's chaos baseball. It is chaos baseball. It's always going to be chaos baseball. But today, it, this was nice to watch just a a game where, you know, the, it was a tight game through most of the game, and then uh, the Mariners just put them away late in the game, of course, with the back-to-back -back home runs from Hernandez and Kelnick. But, again, to just talk a little bit about Logan, there was a point, I believe he, what was it, 15 out of 16 batters he had put down after they came out in the first inning, and it kind of seemed like we were going to see a, uh, a little bit of more of what we saw. Uh, from yesterday where they seemed to know what the game plan was at the plate. You know, Logan came out there, gave up those hits in the first inning, and uh, after that never really looked back. Yeah, you're exactly right, giving that one up, and it was nothing but zeros all the way after until he finally got pulled there in the seventh with a little bit of trouble with man on first and second, and Scott went to Matt Brash to uh, shut the door and end that threat. But, yeah, six and two-thirds for Logan. Like I mentioned earlier, seven Ks. A nice, nice big start going a lot of innings for them to help out that bullpen. Yeah, and it was good to see also Brash come in and walk off the mound probably satisfied with what he's, what he's done the last couple of times that he had been out there in these really tough situations. It did not go his way, and it really was, you know, it really wasn't on what he was doing with the batters. It was just the unfortunate ball that got hit in Cleveland uh, when he was trying to close that game out in game three. And, you know, the pickoff move, which we'll talk about when we're re reviewing from the other day, uh, it just, it just, the, the endings to what he had done didn't really like 
it wasn't fair. It wasn't a fair comparison of the pitch choices and what he was doing as far as uh, pitcher to batter. Yeah, he didn't get rewarded. Um, putting in, put in the fire, but that's you know that's the growth we want to see out of Matt Brash. Um, getting thrown in the fire, it wasn't successful. Not all his fault, um, but that's okay. The rest of the bullpen helped him out. Tapa came in, went one inning, no hits, no um, no runs. Obviously, struck out one, and then Seawald came in there, looked great. You know, started off Bellinger with a nice backdoor slider. Next pitch, he tried the exact same thing again, except he got it a little bit too much of the plate, hung it, and he put it out of the, put it out of the yard in a hurry. So a little blemish there for Seawald. But other than that, he came right back and shut him down. So no harm, no foul there with the M's leading 5-1 to one at that time. So it's good to get that final game of the series, like you mentioned. It is. And I, with Munoz uh, being out and, of course, having to move flexing from the bullpen into the starting rotation. The bullpen's, you know, and having to throw another and, – and with the bullpen having to, you know, throw a lot of innings the last few days. And we've mentioned this a little bit earlier. A lot of guys coming up from the Rainiers. One person, you just mentioned his name, definitely has shined, and that's Topa. Yeah, he, he has taken – Full advantage of his opportunity, looking pretty good here. Uh, he's been used quite a bit, and he's been successful. He's kind of like, you know, that, like a Murphy last year. Didn't know too much about him, came in. The year before, you and I were talking, Seawald started off in the minors. They brought him up, you know, after struggling in New York and bringing him over here. Did the same thing, you know, started in the minors, came got recalled like Topa, and took off. I hope that's the same situation for Topa. Yeah, I, I I don't see a reason to send him down until he shows that he's not majorly ready. But he's pitched already, like you said, in the frying pan. And today's game, I know it wasn't an extra inning game where you start with somebody on second base, like he had to do in Cleveland and got himself out of that. But the Mariners desperately needed this game. Desperately needed it. Yeah, I mean, wind blowing out. Uh, the Cubs have got an adequate lineup. We've seen that. The game before, you know, we'll talk about that. We saw what happened there. They got off to a good start, the Mariners, and the bullpen couldn't hold it. So it was good to get a shutdown game from our bullpen and walk out of there with a win. Absolutely. And, you know, before we go back and look at any any of the other stuff, that the not good stuff, but we got we got to talk about it. we got to critique it. It's all part of this series. It's what we do here at the Rye Bread and Mustard Mariners podcast. We recap the series, and that includes the games prior to this. But listen, on this road trip, they started off great, and they ended great. The middle, the middle was rough, and we're going to talk about it. But first, let's talk about the hitting today. Um, actually, the hitting this entire series has has been pretty good. You know, I'm I'm looking here at the lineup. You know, on the box score, it's and it's. I know it's only a dozen games or so into the season, but it looks good to see averages like. 254, 357, 309, 351. There are some low ones, but, I mean, it's been a long time since I've looked at a box score and seen that many threes and, and, and twos just in the everyday lineup. Maybe that's got to do something with the shift. Maybe that's just got to go with the guys figuring things out. Uh, oh, let's talk about the hitting today in this game. Um, the Mariners got 10 hits. 
five runs. Uh, all of these uh, came uh, without the the help of any sloppy player errors by Chicago. Um, you know, the Mariners jumped out and got a. Or I should say the Chicago started off with a one to nothing lead, but the Mariners, you know, answered back in the third inning. What did you think about that third inning? What were your takeaways there? Yeah, they strung a few hits together. Gino, you know, knocked one in, and uh, it was his only hit of the game, and that was a good start to that inning. Yeah, it definitely was. And Gino, look, we talked about it. He's got one home run right now, but the guy's hitting three oh nine. Uh, the strikeouts are still there, but I mean, this guy's what's he's got? What eleven RBIs? I believe this season so far. I mean, this guy's this guy is knocking runs in. Uh, we haven't seen the big power outburst. We know that's coming, but it just looks like he's he's really seeing the ball pretty good and hit, hitting very smart. Yeah, and then in that same inning, Teoscar started off his day well with another single um, into center field. That scored Ty France, and that was a, you know, a big thing to get that lead right back after giving up one in the first inning. Yeah, and then they tacked one on in the seventh, and uh, you know, at, at that point, you, you still got a close game. We've seen some close games, or have we've seen the the Mariners with. You know, these smaller leads on this trip recently in the last few days definitely had you stressed out as a fan, you know, going into the eighth inning with only a two-run lead, not knowing exactly who was going to be coming out of the pen maybe. Uh, obviously, we talked about it. Topa came out, took care of business. But in that eighth inning, you know, which is probably the biggest highlight of the game, was the back-to-back home runs by Teoscar Hernandez and... One Jared Kelnick. Once again, this is where this isn't. Uh, we're not. This you're not listening to a uh, a repeat here. No, he hit another home run. Three home runs in a row. First time a Mariner has done that in a series against the same team since 2018 by another uh, outfielder that we used to have by the name of Mitch Hanniger, who's no longer with us. Uh, but uh, these two home runs, I think, something that could go maybe overlooked with this was the inning before when we did get the run we had a chance to we had a chance to knock more guys in it didn't happen so for them to come out the next inning you know after Raleigh made the last out the inning before to come out and hit the back-to-back home runs right away really put the Mariners into cruise control and I'm sure for a guy like Topa this was this was huge probably made the move for uh that uh service had to make probably much much more confident feeling better about him going out there with a three-run lead instead of a two-run lead or sorry at that point a four-run lead um i think that's probably a little bit the most breathing room topos had (laughs) uh in his uh stint here at the mariners yeah definitely a little bit of a softer landing an easier go for him knowing that he had some runs to play with knowing that he was facing a, a, a Pretty good Chicago lineup. Like I mentioned earlier, wind was blowing out. Um, there was a lot of factors there, but he shut them down. No hits, no runs, no errors, and nobody left. So <laughs> it was a good inning from him. I mean, mentioning J.K. and Teoscar's home run, I yeah. mean, that was huge. Teoscar getting that high fastball and just absolutely tomahawking Get it to the out. last row. In, in left center. Yeah, almost on to Wayland, exactly. And then J.K. comes up, gets a, um, a middle, I would say middle third, middle outside third 
of the plate, a nice fastball down the way, and he killed it, you know? 482 feet. The farthest home run by a Mariner since in the stat cast era, and the farthest home run also hit in Wrigley Field since the stat cast era. That also came off his bat at 111.7. That was a bomb. That yeah. was a bomb. But you know what was a little bit more impressive? The person that threw it back. I mean, the person that threw it back had an arm. I loved watching that in Wrigley Field. All these guys are getting their home runs thrown back to them. And there's a lot of home runs in this series. Absolutely. I mean, he's hot. He conceivably, you know, the previous series, the last game, he hit one off the top of the wall. In game two, we'll get to, get to it. He hit one off the top of the basket. He could seriously have four home runs, or he could have five home runs in four straight games. Yeah, he really could. I mean, he's on fire. He's on fire. And, you know, if we could see this, you know, knock on wood, a, a game, one more game or two more games like this. Now we're talking about uh, Mr. Ken Griffey Jr. a little bit more. You know, I don't want to jinx it. I don't know about that, but I tell you, I'm thinking about starting to wear a chain again, putting my wedding ring on that chain so I can look like JK. Yeah. Well, what I mean by the Ken Griffey Jr. thing is eight in a row, eight games in a Absolutely. row. By That's where I'm talking about. No, Ken you're Griffey right. Jr. That crossed my mind earlier today. He's halfway there. Well, I jinxed him almost. here. I jinxed him here, but you know, he's, uh, he's going back to the Marine layer too. You got to remember that. Yeah. That is true. Uh, the roof is probably going to be on this weekend. We'll get into that in part two, which will probably come out Friday when we start breaking down the rest of the series. But but about this home run again, I mean, that was just a monster shot. If you're watching on the broadcast, I'm sorry. The camera work on it was bad. The camera work was all bad to show how big of a bomb it was. Uh, the other night when he hit the home run on Monday night, great camera work, you know, where the guys pull back. You can see the ball in flight, a great angle. Today, you couldn't really see that on the broadcast to really understand how high, high it was. If you're, watching, if you're watching it during the broadcast, the camera almost had to go look for it. I mean, but it was a bomb. And earlier, uh, before the broadcast on the radio, and Rick Riz was talking about how he climbed up into the automatic hand scoreboard out there in center field this morning was like wow that was a really that it is a really beautiful view it's really far out there and those uh and the slats that they put in there or the the numbers those things are about 20 pounds i heard too a uh, little side thing but that rick riz it was just very apropos that he was talking about how far it was how far away it was today and jared hits the ball out there yeah, that's funny you mentioned that. They mentioned uh, earlier on, too, that Logan went out and took a little field trip out there himself on the uh, first day of the series. So that's cool that those guys went out and, you know. I mean, I know Logan before when he's gone back to Boston has gone behind the Green Monster. So that's just cool about being a ball player, going and checking out the nooks and crannies of the stadium. Yeah, it is. And I got a theory. I mean, these these home runs have been pretty colossal by – by JK. I'm wondering if he made a trip out of there. And I'm wondering if maybe he found uh, Sammy's old stash that he used to have out there, if you, if you know what I mean. I mean, these were bombs. I mean, these were, uh, again, these were late 90s style bombs. I mean, 482. Come on. No, I'm kidding. I know he does. he's a clean guy. But, uh, I mean, it's just. 
it's just fun to see these balls go out, especially in a park that's synonymous, uh, you know, for over 100-plus years. Um, they used to do home run derby there back in the day when they filmed that TV show. I mean, Wrigley Field has got to be one of those parks that it probably just feels just absolutely like bucket list of hitting a home run in, especially the day games, especially day games like today, which is r- traditional Wrigley Field uh baseball yeah and uh, it was nice to hear that jared's family came down from wisconsin i bet that gave him a little extra juice knowing that they were in the ballpark to watch him i mean fantastic series for the guy i'm pumped yeah and uh look mariners lost this series but the way that they are feeling and the way we're feeling it didn't feel like they were out of these other games except for maybe the 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 14-9 Fourteen to nine game. It just seemed like Chicago was in charge of that. We'll get into those right after this. But listen, the Mariners are coming home with a, a road split, which is always the par on the road. Um, you're playing Cleveland, you know, on this road trip. Uh, who's a good team? Um, Chicago looks like they put a pretty good offensive team together through free agency. Uh, they, you know, obviously can hit the ball. They kind of gave the Mariners a really tough time. I mean, they obviously did here in games one and two, and we're just going to briefly touch on those right after this. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus So the Mariners going into game one after uh, being in Cleveland the night before. It's not a long trip from Cleveland, Ohio to Chicago, Illinois. But the Mariners did play 12 innings um, losing to Cleveland. We talked about that on the last episode. Ran through the bullpen. 
pretty hard there um, throughout that series. And, uh, you know, they found themselves again in an extra inning game. Uh, you know, the Mariners seem to kind of come out a bit flat there on Monday, but late in the game, you know, the guy that we're talking about uh, a lot here, uh, J.K. comes out there um, and destroys the ball into right field into the night. Great camera work by the cameraman on that one. Uh, what do you got to say about game one besides that? Yeah, I mean, J.K. hit a mistake pitch. The guy hung him as a cement mixer, and he, he crushed it. They hang him and bang him, and he banged it out of there. I mean, it was crushed. Um, yeah, tough loss, 3-2 to two and 10. I mean, uh, there's some things that, you know, I had some concerns with that I saw that went throughout the game. You know, the Mariners got on the board early. A.J. Pollock with the bases loaded in the fourth hits a sacrifice fly that scores France. So now with two outs, Sam Haggerty comes up. Uh, with the runners on second and third, he works it to a 3-0 count, and they green light him. Pops it right up. I mean, thoughts on that? I'll tell you what mine are. What are they? Uh, 3-0 count to Sam Haggerty? <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I don't know what he's done so far this season. I'd have to I'd have to look because I'm not seeing it. I'm going to have to deep dive for a 3-0 I can see if you give J.K. a 3-0 right now. I can see if you give, uh, you know, Suarez one, France, you know, Julio. People that you you are trusting with the bat that have, you know, shown the discipline. And 3-0 where also, let's not forget, Haggerty is fast. Very fast. This is a close game. The objective is to get him on base. So, yes, on 3-0, why are you not taking there? Yeah. I mean, and then later on, you know, the Cubs come right back in that fourth inning, put up two. Um, Hosmer has owned Luis Castillo. He started off the game batting 11 for 17 with an average of 647, finished with two hits to bump up that average to 684. And then, you know, it was pretty quiet there after the fourth until we got to the uh, eighth inning. Hummel gets on, leadoff double down the right field corner. And it was a kind of a, a very key play in that game. Um, Dansby Swanson was playing behind um, Hummel at, sec at shortstop, not playing in his normal position, more right behind the bag. There was a Two hopper shot right up the gut to Dansby. You know, usually you see think ball hit to your left, you can go. But it was hit so hard, Dansby made a great play. Obviously, Hummel was not watching or paying attention where Dansby was lined up. And he grabbed the two hopper, threw to third, and threw him out by 10 feet. What a rally killer there yeah. with, two, with a guy on second and nobody out, and you're down one. It's huge. It's huge, especially coming off of what I know these are separate games for me, but just after what you went through the night before, you know, for these kinds of things to happen, it's, it's got to be tough on the for the fan. It was tough, right? You know, uh, the pitching staff, especially the bullpen, lots of miles. The batteries were low, but when you look at this, you know, Castillo went out there six innings, gave up six hit, not the sharpest he's been all season. Easy to say when you don't give up any runs <laughs> in in the your first two 
times out there. But again, still good good start. Only two earned runs. Got five strikeouts. You had Topa coming out there, not giving up anything. Spy, and then you got Spire. There's another guy I think that we didn't mention him at the top of this. Pitching really good out of the bullpen. Uh, just was like one of the very last cuts, I believe, um, when they made the opening day roster. You know, Seawald comes out there, gets a clean frame. And then, unfortunately, like the way we have these extra inning games with the guy on second base, we got Brash out there, and we talked about this at the start. Not really indicative of the pitch choices and the, you know, pitcher versus batter. I don't know. He, You can talk about this. I, I, I just don't know what to say about it. Uh, I, I was listening, and I finally watched the dead-to-rights guy who was on second base. We had a guy out. Can you, can you break down what happened there in the 10th with uh, Brash? Oh, yeah. Another tough one, especially after coming off the night before with Murphy, same type of situation. Tries the, the old spin move, you know, the quick turnaround. This one was a little different. Brash lifts his leg and then turns it. More of a, a fake-out pitch like he's pitching and then pivots towards second base. The runner is taking off. Brash can't get his foot down in time and then kind of stumbles slightly and throws to Gino wildly and late, and it gets a guy in a scoring position, and he's safe at third. Very frustrating. Very frustrating, especially and that's it, compounding on what happened the evening before. So basically we had two botched pickoff, whether they're attempts or, or throws or opportunities, back-to-back nights and extra innings. I'm wondering where in baseball history this has happened, where it's led to a loss in, in that inning. Yeah, I mean, that was, it was a frustrating game. You know, I mentioned the home play. Uh, in the 10th, the M's leave the bases loaded. Um, in, in the 10th, when we're on the field after Brash, you know, has that runner steal on him. He strikes out the next, the next batter in Tyler Buckholt, or Bernhardt, excuse me. And then Nico Horner, you know, with a little flare to right field and game over. I mean, it, it was a killer, especially coming after that game in Cleveland to end up and finish off their series. Yeah, and especially to <laughs> add to it, the inning before J.K. comes up there, pinch hits. You know the uh, was it the the at bat prior to that? I believe he came in, but he was a uh, he did not start the game because there was a lefty out there. Comes up with this huge, huge home run, which was pretty much some foreshadowing for the rest of the series. Mariners seem to have grabbed the momentum. And then that happens, and then you, you know, like you said, dead to rights guy, you know, you, you almost got yourself, it was almost like they were getting themselves out of, or it was almost, I'm sorry, I should say, it was almost like the baseball gods gave them a gift to make up for the night before, and it, and it just got muffed. Absolutely, I mean, yeah, they were down, like you mentioned, two to one, they get that big, big home run in the ninth by JK, um, you're feeling really good. You're, you know, he's feeling good. You're feeling good. Good, we got this game tied up. And then that situation happens in the 10th um, where we leave them loaded again. Like I mentioned, you can't add on, so we're still tied. And then all that hell breaks loose in the 10th when the Cubs are at, at bat and 
it was another devastating loss. Yeah, it was devastating. There's also stuff earlier in that game, you know, Tom Murphy did not look good behind the plate, throwing the ball around. We, you know, the ball seemed like it was flying into the, the outfield quite a bit um, from either in the infield or from the pitcher or the catcher over the last couple of days. Yeah. I mean, that was a wild, wild throw. That was a wild throw. Sorry, Shelly, over at Murphy's. That was a... That was a bad throw by your boy Tom. If you're listening, I mean, he's shout just, out to Shelly. I mean, Murphy's I'm not, I'm, on 45th. I'm not going to pile on, but yeah, I am. I mean, he's got one hit. He's got a bunch of strikeouts. He's. I mean, I, I realize you got to. You have to have a guy like him, you know, to give Cal a day off. But come on, Tom, let's go, buddy. Come on. I mean, you called it. He asked for the ball when he got his first hit this year. <laughs> yeah, he knows how pathetic he's been. <laughs> he felt it. Uh, Well, you know, that's enough about game one. Let's jump into game two. Let's just briefly go through game two. This this is a start where, you know, Robbie Ray should be out there. Flexen's out there. Mariners are jumping up to a, a 7-0 lead early in the first two innings. And then just the wheels came off. And this was just an unfortunate situation compounded by how much they've used the bullpen throughout the Cleveland series, even during the wins. You go back to the Cleveland series on that Friday, the bullpen cleaned up what Logan couldn't do. Saturday, uh, another game that the bullpen stood strong. Sorry, uh, after Marco after Marco got you where you needed to be, the, the bullpen held that game down. Then, of course, you have the 12-inning game. You have the game on Monday. You more than desperately needed to get seven innings out of Flexen. And in fact, I think that's we all know that's why they why they left him out there. You know, you have the you have you have a healthy bullpen full of your guys. You're not seeing him get left out there like that, especially in that third inning. Yeah. I mean, after those last two games, the fan base is getting a little restless, you know, me included. More on not you know how they've played and um they get off to a good start get two in the first and then give that big inning in the second to put five up and you're up seven nothing and you're feeling pretty good yeah i mean we were we, we were feeling pretty good as fans we were feeling great we were going seven runs oh good you know what all flexing ever does just like marco it might not be lights out shit but he's always giving you a chance to win. He's always going to compete. There's nothing in my head that says this guy's not going five innings, giving up you know more than four runs. And the way that the Mariners were swinging the bat, you thought they were going to keep piling on. And to be fair, they put a couple more on the board. They scored nine runs. You score nine runs, you think you're going to win. When the Mariners score nine runs, they typically do uh, because of the pitching that we have and the bullpen that we have. And that just wasn't the case. But credit to Chicago, they swung the bats great this entire series. 
Yeah, they sure did. They, I mean, they had 18 hits that game. Talking about flexing, he looked okay in the first two innings. I noticed that he was throwing his, his cutter and his slider. All were outside to um, Chicago Cubs batters. I, he didn't seem like he wanted to work inside to them at all, and I felt like they knew that at one point. I mean, they had quite a few hits to the opposite direction to right field and went with the pitch, and they had a game plan going in there, and it was something that I felt like Flexen never made an adjustment to. Maybe he didn't have his stuff where he felt like he could go inside on the guys, but I, you know, if you're only if you're only knowing that you're as the batter that the pitcher's just working the outer half of the plate, I mean, you're feeling pretty good and zeroing in on where the ball's going to be, and you're going to hit that like you did, like they did. Yeah, and you mentioned. You know, he looked all right to start. You go back to that second inning prior to the, you know, the <laughs> wheels coming off in the third. You watch Pete Woodworth go out to the mound. You watch Cal go out to the mound. And both times, that turned into immediate outs. We got the double play, got the strikeout. I was just very shocked at the very next inning this all happened. Uh, I think I even texted with you the same thing. Like, listen, this guy's so coachable. We're so lucky to have Flexen. I mean, the announcers were selling us that story. And I think we are. It's just, you know, every pitcher gets shelled at, at one point or another. It just it's it hurts more when you watch a seven-run lead evaporate. But, again, this wasn't a seven-run lead in the 15th or 16th. This was in the first third of the game, which I always say – it, it doesn't matter if you have a 10-run lead. If if the other team comes back in the second inning with eight or seven, you didn't cough up the game. That's just the way this game is going to go. That's the story. That's what's going on. The wind was blowing out. Um, we knew that game two seemed like that was going to be the game that you're going to have to put the runs on the board versus game three where you're like, hey, you got Stroman out there who hasn't given up any runs just like Luis Castillo hasn't, and you had Gilbert. It played out that way, and the Mariners just lost the slugfest. Yeah, they sure did. I mean, after getting all those runs, they i mean, they got it close in the fourth inning. A great home run by Jared Kelnick, you know, to bring the game within one. Mariners eight, Chicago nine. I mean, that was one of my favorite home runs of the three in game two, that one that was outside, and he went with it and just drove it into the uh, tunnel there. I loved it. Yeah. And, you know, then, you know, you're feeling okay. Maybe we got a chance. We're only down one. Then the Cubs come back in the fifth, add two more. And then in the sixth, let's add three more to the Cubs. And it's, you know, eight to 14 Cubbies. And then the M's tack on one in the eighth, and the game's over. So the Cubs end up winning 14-9 uh, after the M's blow a 7-0 lead. And the Cubs, you know, win that game easily. Yeah, and, and listen, there was a lot of those balls that just got through the infield or past the guys, which I don't know if that's just the game of baseball or I'm talking crazy here, but it seemed like those balls used to get knocked down and stopped a little bit more in the past with this unit. I don't know. Is there anything out there you were seeing that, uh, you know, jumps out at you in well, that yeah, way? Yeah, I mean, I can up to date now with four series played. I can say that there's been four balls that have gone off gloves by J.P., Wong, and Haggerty um, on those little flares. 
you know, they haven't come up with them. I mean, if a, tough plays, no doubt. Um, but if you get a glove on it, you feel like you got a chance to catch it. I don't know if it's because possibly the positioning with the shift now. They're starting on the dirt, so they're not starting as deep. There's wind, but... A lot of wind. A lot of wind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are just plays that, you know, they're do or die, and you just like to at least have maybe one or two of them, but you haven't come up with any in crucial situations. Yeah, and listen, the wind, you know, we're playing in the Windy City, Very build very well for this series. It's pretty accurate portrayal. Same thing in Cleveland. But listen, I trade all this shitty wind instead of, like, snow and rain and having to go back during the season because the Mariners have the toughest travel schedule in all of baseball. So I'm very thankful for – I'll take a three-and-three, you know, road trip in April against a former playoff team and a revamped, uh, you know, offense in Chicago – not having to miss any games, not having to have any double headers, any double headers. I know it sucks because you go, man, the Mariners could have won five, five of these games, you know. But they also very well could have lost almost all of them too. The other games, let's not forget, the first couple of games in Cleveland were tight till the end. This was just some tough baseball with some tough teams. Um, yes. Uh, fundamentally, the Mariners just have not seemed to be clicking yet on the fundamental uh, end, whether it's base running, um, whether it's uh, what's going on out in the field, communication. I mean, we just saw J.K. and we saw Julio almost run into each other. You know, we're, we're seeing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I will agree with you. Too much sloppiness for me so far. As you mentioned, yeah, Julio and J.K. in that game three, um, I thought it was a ball that was legitimately left fielder's ball the whole way. Julio came storming in from the TV broadcast. It looked like J.K. called it right away, put his arm out, and Julio came barreling in there. Um, You know, he's playing playing with a better left fielder than he has last year. You know what I'm saying? So – We've seen it a few times with Julio. He's just aggressive, and he can get everything. So they just need to get it worked out. They do. There's just a lot of cleaning up that still needs to happen. And also, let's not forget, a lot of these guys didn't log in a lot of time together this spring. With When you add the WBC and things like that, uh, you know, that this could be something of that, you know, has to do with that. And it sucks because I always am like, you know, in any sport, oh, we're working things out, and it's kind of, you kind of go, well, why do we have to work that out in the regular season? But listen, that's just the way it goes, especially when you've got 162 of these. But again, we'll keep saying this, a win in April is worth two in September. I'm hoping to see a lot of wins here in this homestand. We'll get through that on part two of this episode that we'll put out tomorrow. Anything else you want to say about uh, this this series or the road trip before we get before we move on. Also, I wanted to add: now that the Mariners lost in extra innings, they're now one and four in one-run games, zero oh and three in extra innings, and five of their seven losses have come by one or two runs. Well, it's a little bit different than what we were seeing all last year, but also the small sample size. You know where this game was at. One more time, Wrigley Field. 
I've been to one game there. You've been to Wrigleyville. It's a lot of fun. If you if you are a baseball fan and you have uh, not been to uh, Chicago or Wrigley Field and you've always thought about it, I, I go. I know that the Mariners are not going back there this year unless there is a playoff situation, but you can go there. I'm sorry, Mariners, when I say this. It's okay to be a Cubs fan for one day and go and go see that place because that's kind of how how you feel when you're there. But I thought it was really fun that we got to see a day game today, but I went to an actual night game out there. I think night's great. Uh, that's something that wasn't always available until, what, the late 80s there or early night? Yeah, late 80s. Um, you've been out to Wrigleyville? Yeah, I was out there a couple times a few years ago in the wintertime, so baseball season wasn't going on. But um, I took a drive out there on a Sunday, early morning, it happened to be a nice day, and it was awesome. I drive in there from where I was staying in downtown, drive up north there, and I'm just shocked. You know, it's in a neighborhood. Uh, I park, you know, just outside of le- the left field um, entrance. I start my journey there. I walk through Waveland. I'm picturing all the people catching balls in the outfield or on Waveland during batting practice. I make my way over to center, see the Harry Carey statue, make a big loop, get to right field. There's a little square area where you can look into the stadium. The grass was brown and dead because it was the winter time. Make my way around, see the iconic red sign behind the plate, and then make my way through um, there. Um, memorabilia or museum there in in the stadium. Got a chance to go through that, see the World Series trophy. So I didn't get a chance to see a game or sit in an obstructed seat or anything like that or in the bleachers, but it was still awesome to me. It That's, I mean, just, yes, it is awesome just being there. If you're like, hey, I'm there in the off season and there's not a game, just the entire Wrigleyville and the, and the tour that they have there is great. I got lucky enough. I did get to go to a game. Um, I happened to be out there. This has got to be about 10 years ago. I was out there studying at the Second City, uh, the famed Second City out there. Um, and I happened to be going to a game that it was. I had tickets and everything was good to go. And then all of a sudden there's this torrential downpour for about a half an hour. And then the sun came back out. It was like it was a summer day. It was like a hundred degrees with a hundred degree humidity, <laughs> you know, hundred percent chance humidity. Quick, quick rain. That was it. That was enough to shut the game down for the rest of the night. Went back the next day. Happened to be Ron Santo, uh, Seattle Zone, Seattle Zone or Washington Zone, or yes, Seattle Zone, Washington. Sure, Ron Santo. Uh, they were. Um, Unveiling his uh, statue outside of the stadium, uh, which drove up the price of the tickets. Because uh, the game before, I had to refund tickets. And it was it was like a weird situation where I believe that game was a, that got rained out was the end of a series. So the very next day, even though they did the Ron Santo thing, I believe it was the start of another series. Because I had to get tickets to this, this game. And... Uh, it was a night game, but I do have to say the, the the weirdest thing to me was this is before the newer renovations that just happened. It's only a kick, a jump, 
a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The exterior area is so small there. You know, like if you're in T-Mobile. Agreed, yeah. If you're in T-Mobile Park and you're whatever, out in Edgar's or you're up on that 100 level, uh, you know, where you go out to center field, that's like being across the street outside of real. That's like being out on like Addison uh, or, or, or whatever. It, the, the exterior is so small. They did have ins and ins and outs, which was kind of cool because we left and ran out and went over to the dugout bar and slammed a couple shots. <laughs> Came back in. There was a lot of in and outs. And again, I went there like right before the the uh, the renovation started right now. And actually, if you want to watch something about uh, Wrigley Field and how they've kept it from you know, getting demolished or just being able to be used still. I mean, they, they use this for concerts. They do a lot of things in there. Sometimes they'll play football games. Um, there is a great documentary out there. If you're a baseball fan, it's called Saving Wrigley. Really great title. It's actually free right now and available on YouTube. I just watched it, and it just goes through a lot of the things and changes that have happened at the stadium since the conception of the stadium. Uh, we're talking the bleachers that they added out, you know, across the street and all of the politics that went into that with the residents that have the bleachers there, the scoreboards that they have put up that have blocked views of, you know, properties that have been able to look into the stadium, which has affected, you know, the, <laughs> the, the what, do, what do you call it? the value of their property. Um, there was... Uh, you know, a situation where they've just, like we mentioned, just put these lights in in the 80s. And there's a, a whole, you know, court case. Kind of very, uh, you know, very similar to when the Mariners were going to leave. And I hate to bring this up, but when the Sonics were leaving, it definitely has a lot of that, like, cutthroat politics stuff with different groups with different views. And also when the new ownership came in and they decided to revamp Wrigley Field of how they did it and how, you know, with a building that old, you know, restructuring it from the inside uh, and, like, lifting the stadium, all this kind of, like, crazy stuff. So if you're, you know, really into, like, architecture or into, like, you know, construction management and stuff like that, this is a great documentary. It's only, like, an hour long, and, it, and it's done really, really well. Yeah, it's a great stadium. What took me was... You know, it was so cool, like you mentioned, to see all those seats on those buildings in the outfield. Um, that was just really cool to see. There is tons of them still there. Uh, you, we mentioned earlier about the scoreboard and Rick Riz and Logan going there. That's a historical landmark. I mean, it's 
it's it's amazing. And what what really baffled me was how short the stadium was. It's not very tall. No, it is not. It is it is not very tall. Uh, I mean, they use this movie uh, in uh, League of Their Own as well. Um, uh, lots of lots of lots of movies out there. Was that Rookie of the Year? Uh, <laughs> it was based there at, at, with the Cubs and and out at Wrigley Field. And yeah, I, I've been there too. Uh, the other time was on uh, opening day when I was studying at the Second City, and we got out early and we went down there. And I can tell you what we've I've been to some opening days here in Seattle, and it's fun and it's a blast. It is nothing like opening day in Chicago. It is nuts. I mean, I remember going down the street and watching people falling out of the doorways of bars. Couples screaming and breaking up with each other, people puking, people getting hauled away to jail. And I'm talking, this is like two in the afternoon on a Tuesday. Yeah, they get after it. I remember, yeah, I mean, probably coming out of Rizzo's over there on the corner. Yeah. I mean, that's a great bar, too. Yeah, uh, Cubby Bear, if you, Cubby Bear's there. Hopefully the dugout is still there. Those were, those were my, those were my people. Um, yeah, Wrigleyville, Wrigleyville is definitely a slice of baseball to Americana. You got to do it. Pound for pound, the best food anywhere around there. Lots of swag around the stadium. It, it is a place to go. Uh, it is it is a must-see place. It's too bad that the Mariners are done there this year, and we're probably going to have to wait for two more years before they go back the way they have the schedule right now. But, um, you know, like I said, it, it, get out there even if the Mariners aren't there. But that's going to uh, wrap up our episode. We're here at the cabin up in Shoreline, Richmond Beach, if you want to be a stickler. Um, thanks again that, for them hosting us. We think we're going to be back tomorrow with, uh, with another episode previewing the Rockies, talking a little bit about some things that we've seen with the pitch clock, um, just maybe some internal business. We just need to see what kind of moves uh, the Mariners are going to make here as far as the roster um, going in the series, they had to, you know, call up and, like we mentioned, move a lot of people around uh, out of necessity um, just to have some uh, arms that worked over the last few days. That might change here now that they're back. We're going to talk about that tomorrow, hopefully. And if we are not back, then we will owe you one next week. But we think we're going to be back tomorrow. We just didn't know that the uh, – I'm not going to throw the cabin under the bus. Listen, this is an earlier spot during the weekdays they do not stay open late so don't be trying to drive over here let's just say you're listening to our episode and you live in Renton or somewhere and you're just so inspired by us talking about being at the cabin they do close a little bit earlier on the on the weekdays uh kind of like cabin rules you know when you're at the cabin you don't stay up all night you go to bed a little bit early you get up for that sunrise anyways though thanks to the cabin once again and yeah thanks for listening to us here on the odyssey app or wherever else you're getting your podcast action from also check us out on youtube and all the socials and if you're looking for the gear if you're like which people are i think people might be more interested hanno on our gear than our podcasts uh, get, I don't blame them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go to at simply.cora on Instagram. That's at simply.cora on Instagram. And also, if you are uh, looking to looking for uh, some back catalog, if you're looking for some back catalog episodes, make sure to check check out the episode with. Steve Miggs from KISW Rock Morning Show. It's a great episode. Also, if you're hearing this on Thursday or you're listening to this on Friday, don't forget, 
SOS Wrestling Friday night down in Tacoma. Steve Miggs is taking on the super fan. His super fan that, uh, you know, was just fanboying, or the fanboy, I should say, the fanboy. He, Steve Miggs is taking on the fanboy that has now turned into his rival at SOS Wrestling down in Tacoma. Look for SOS Wrestling on Instagram or check out Steve Miggs on his social media to catch up on that. I'll be down there, and of course, I'll be there at T-Mobile Park this weekend checking out the Rockies. I think we're going to be down there Sunday doing our post-game show, right, Hanno? Yeah, looking forward to it. We'll be on the corner of First and Edgar. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll give that. We'll we'll check out our social medias. We'll let you know where that's going on. Anyways, I'm going to shut the hell up. Hanno, you know what time it is. (laughs) Ciao.